Okay, this is my Bible. I believe it's God's word. I believe every word is true. And it is all that I need. Yes, it is. Now, I told you this is not the lesson that I was looking forward to doing. I did. I, I was dreading it. I mean, it is such a, I thought, I thought it was such a down chapter. Um, and then I thought, how do you pick songs? How in the world do you pick songs to woe to you? You know? And then I started studying. And this chapter came alive. And it is a chapter of love. I know it doesn't sound like it. But he is desperate, and you can hear the the intensity of his desperation for them to want to to get to know who he is, to be able to change their life, to stop playing religion and get into a relationship with him. He is so passionate here. This this is his love. He, He knows that time is running out. His love is coming out, and he is pulling out all the stops. We've seen that since the last couple weeks when we've entered the last week of his life. He is nothing short of making sure that he make the most of every minute. Last week, we saw how they tried to trap him. They tried to, again, discredit him. You can, you can see their rebellion, even though two weeks ago we saw that 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 his parables really confronted them. They knew he was talking about them. And then remember between those two verses, I said they had a choice. And boy, did we see who they chose. They chose them on their own selves. They, they chose to be, to be um, yeah, rebellious and hateful and uh, all the things that come along with a, a human nature behavior instead of surrendering. And, and so now, you know, he is trying this. He's going he's gonna to talk. He's got an audience right there. He's going to pull out the stops. He's going to make sure they know this is seven warnings like you've never heard. Seven warnings. We say, woe to you, woe to you seven times. But it is a warning. And the reason I think that it's seven is that, that seven is that that perfect number, that, that complete number. And, and as much as time is running out for him before he goes to the cross, he's saying, you relate this to your own life and know that I am warning you because time is running out before the day is, it's too late. So every day, we don't know when, we don't know the day or the hour, but we know every day is closer. And so he's saying, with the time you have left, take a look at these warnings because a warning is to keep you from disaster. And so these seven warnings, he said, there's one for you. What do you need to be confronted with? What do you need to see that you are maybe ho-humming or not thinking it's so important or whatever? It just covers everything. So he starts with, um, he, he talks to the crowd. Did you notice that? He talks first to the crowd, even though he knows that they're all, those religious leaders are all standing there. And so he talks to the crowd and his disciples first. And he says, the teachers of the law and the Pharisees sit in Moses' seat. 
Now, I had you in the first question to start this lesson. I wanted you to look up in James that he wants to make sure that we are not just hearing and listening, but leaving here what? Doing. That's right. He doesn't want us to fill up with more facts and more, oh, isn't that wonderful? Or, boy, he really knew how to talk to those guys. He wants you to hear him this morning. And not just listen and hear them, but have it so powerful that it affects you, that you want to be changed. So it is definitely relevant. And James says it, and I think we're going to see that's the prominent message in this. Because apparently Jesus then and Jesus now thinks there's a lot of people using his name, and, and they don't mean it. They don't understand it at all sit in church, yet they think they can do what and when they please, that this isn't serious, that, oh, you know, that's all going to happen someday. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But they don't get it. And so may you hear that kind of intensity that Jesus was talking then. May you hear him talk to you that way today. It's important. So he says to those people and to the disciples, the teachers of the law and the Pharisees, they sit in Moses' seat, and that is a prominent seat. And in fact, you know, I mean, that's where the person with authority, when they sat on Moses' seat, that said a lot. And they love it there. <laughs> they love that, that seat of prominence. The unfortunate thing is that they, used, they, they didn't use their authority right. Now, did you notice how Jesus and what they must have been thinking first when, when they heard Jesus say, you must obey them and you must do everything they tell you to do. I had a feeling they were saying, well, good, finally, finally he gets it. Now he's telling them, you know, I'm thinking they're, they're probably, you know, just really kind of puffed up thinking, well, you know, now we've got it straight. And that quick, Jesus comes back and says, uh, but don't do, don't do what they do. They don't practice what they preach. Oh, and there was, there was the kicker right there. You know, what they're teaching you, you know, do everything they tell you to do and obey what they tell you to do. You got you to gotta do that, but don't do what they do. Oh, they tie up heavy loads. They tie up heavy loads and put them on men's shoulders, but they themselves are not willing to lift finger to move them. And then I thought, what a contrast. I even prayed about that this morning. What a contrast, because flip back to Matthew 11. You see, the religion, religion heaps on you this heaviness. Like, you feel like such a loser because you can't never fulfill it. And, you know, oh, my, messed up again, messed up again. Oh, I disobeyed that again. And, and you just don't, you don't hear Jesus say this. And Jesus said in Matthew 11, come to me, all you are weary and heavy laden. I will give you rest. Do you hear condemnation there? Do you hear, the, do you hear Jesus heaping pressure and, and guilt on you? He says, no, I want you to come to me. And you, you get weary in different ways. I mean, sometimes you get weary from guilt. Sometimes you get weary from, from your, your 
of crisis that you're in. Maybe you're weary because maybe you're getting old or, you know, I mean, there's many reasons for getting weary. And he just says, no matter what it is, maybe you've been battling this disease and, and there's just so, and it's everything, life wears you down. And Jesus is inviting you and me, saying the opposite of what they're trying to get the people. They're heaping all that heavy weight. They're feeling like they can't possibly measure up. I mean, they're defeated before they even start. And Jesus is saying, you just come to me. All you are weary and heavy laden, I will give you rest. And I saw a picture this week of that yoke, and I don't think I really understood that yoke thing. And, and then I, when I saw the two oxen and how the yoke just joined these two animals together to give them the power to be able to handle and to do the job. And then I thought, that's what Jesus is inviting you and I. Connect with him. Let him. And he says, because my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Join up with me. And there's hope. There's, there's, hey, you know what? I think I'm going to make it through this. I think I can get up tomorrow morning and I'm not defeated. It's just the opposite. Jesus comes alongside. What do they do? Oh, they just heap all that, all the rules and all the laws and making you feel so discouraged and defeated. And they don't lift a finger to try to help you and say, let me come along with you and we'll do this together. Everything they do, there's an absolute, everything they do is done for men to see. Everything they do is done for men to see. So in other words, they have got it all wrong. It's all about them. It's not at all about God. They make their phylacteries. I made sure I could pronounce that. Phylacteries. They make them wide and their tassels on their garments long. And he said, you know what, that's, that's so noticeable. Did you ever see in, in the video, did you watch that, that brown thing that they have around their, around their heads? Well, those are phylacteries, and they make sure that they're noticeable. And inside those phylacteries are uh, little scrolls with scripture verses, you know, and that's all well and good. But the whole idea is to wear them on your forehead or your arm so that everybody can see and say what? Oh, wow. It's all about them. And they make sure that it is in such a noticeable place. And they make sure that the tassels on their garments are, are long. So even from afar off, you can notice, oh, here they come. And they're loving it. Pride is just something that human nature gravitates to. It does make you feel good when somebody notices and somebody's awed by you. Yeah, it feels good. But Jesus is saying, wrong, wrong, wrong. They love a place of honor. They love to be at the honor place and the banquets and most important seats in the synagogue. They love to be greeted in the marketplaces and have men call them rabbi. Oh, they love those titles. Okay, now he turns and talks to them. Now he, because he's got their attention. Because when, when he said, um, they love men to call them rabbi. And then when he turns to them and said, but you are not to call 
you are not to be called rabbi. Boy, that jerked their head up. Now he says this. He says, you are not to be called rabbi for you. You have only one master, and you are all brothers. Do not call anyone on earth father, for you have one father, and he is in heaven. Nor are you to be called teacher, for you have one teacher, the Christ. I'm sure that many of them were saying, what are you talking about? I mean, we know there are Jewish rabbis. There are many of them. We know that, and maybe some of you had that title for many years, teacher. And then, you know, the word father. We know that there are so many fathers. So what is he talking about? He just makes sure you realize when it comes to a teacher, when it comes to your father, when you capitalize those letters, there's only one. You have one rabbi teacher. You have one father. But he is yours. He is your master. Oh, he is just kind of putting them in their place. And he is talking about these titles. And let's face it. You know, when people go to school for a long time and they get their master's or they get their diploma or they get their doctorate, I mean, let's face it. When you when you want when your name is put out somewhere, you it feels pretty good to put those letters behind your name or, you know, Dr. Reverend and all that kind of thing. I mean, you have earned that. You have worked hard for that. The title is not wrong because you have worked for it. However, if that title is more important than the message, and this is what the problem was there, and it is so today. Titles, when they get bigger than the message, then guess who it's all about? Now, I, I'm going to, and I know it's going to sound like bragging, but I'm not bragging, but I just... I was so excited this past week, and I was studying this lesson, and then I saw it. And I know that, that um, Chad is in a series at church, and he is in Matthew right where we are right now, so it's really kind of been exciting. But he wrote a Linton article for the Reformed Church. And, and, you know, yes, he's worked hard, and he has got a lot of titles, but I have to say, when, it, when he asked me to read that article, all of a sudden, I, this, the article was fabulous. And the article was all about Lent and Jesus and what he's done and, and all this. And then I noticed when it said written by, I just I looked and it didn't say Dr. Reverend. It just said Chad Pierce. That means any one of us could have written it. It wasn't about who wrote it. It was about what he wrote. And I have to say, I get chills there. And, I, and if I can, you know, I'm just so, I'm so thrilled. I'm so thrilled that, yes, he did work hard for all those titles. But when it comes to the message of Jesus, he stepped back. You know, isn't that what you want for your kids? No matter, I mean, you, you know, I mean, let's face it, some of those degrees cost us a lot of money. I mean, you know, let's see, we do, we invest a lot in our children and, and we are really proud of them when they attain certain successes and that. But I don't think there's any one of us that want anything for our children more that they are walking close with their Savior. That's the ultimate and here is, this is what Jesus is trying to get the people to see, to get these Pharisees and chief 
rulers to see. You just walk around in all your titles. And do you realize what's greater than the title? There's the one who carries the main title is the one that your eyes should be fixed on. The greatest among you will be your servant. Now, that's not a new concept, is it? I mean, he has, he has told us about that in a couple of times already, about what's great. You know, he used, he used children. He used different examples to show humility, that trustworthiness that you just trust him. He loves us looking at that example and knowing that great is when you serve. In fact, I, I saw this this week, and this was really neat. The two different definitions of great. The human definition of great is when you can look and see how many people serve you. That's, that's the human de definition of great. When you can count how many people serve you because you've arrived and everybody else is working for you. <laughs> but greatness, according to Jesus, is how many people can I serve? Just, the, again, the opposite Jesus' message in this chapter is to contrast and show us how we're caught up in the world's definitions versus his definitions. Whoever exalts himself will be humbled, and whoever humbles himself will be exalted. Now, when do you think that's going to all even out and take place? Do you think that we're going to see humbled be exalted here or the exalted humbled here? No, we're going to see it someday when, when all the pieces come together and when we're standing before him, he is going to make everything right and justice will reign. But he is going to see to it that this verse, and we're going we're gonna to love it. We're really going to love it because everything will be evened out. Now, there's seven woes. He starts, woe to you. And maybe, maybe if you look at it this way, he's saying, number one warning to you is woe to you. This is not an angry man. This is an intense man who loves deeply. And there is one sentence in this chapter that and I will tell you that jumped off the page and made it so clear of why he is so intense. So I'll tell you that in a minute. But here, warning, warning number one, you teachers, you Pharisees, you hypocrites, you actors, you shut the kingdom of heaven in men's faces. Oh, that is a sense, isn't it? You shut the kingdom of heaven in men's faces. That's serious. The kingdom of heaven, really, we've said, is it, it's a person now. It's a relationship with Jesus now. It eventually will be, become a place because that's where we'll be going. But the kingdom of heaven, you Pharisees, you hypocrites, you're shutting Jesus out. You've got everybody so bombarded with rules and laws, and you are shutting Jesus out. And what does Jesus do? He's such a free. But he also says, you know what? You, you shut it in their faces because you don't know. You can't bring someone any further than what you are. You yourselves do not enter, nor will you let those enter who are trying to. People are coming to you. They're searching. They want answers. 
And they're coming to you because they trust you because you got the education. You're the leaders. You were picked to have that prominent position. And so people are coming to you because they're trusting you. And you don't even know the answer. How can you give it to them? You're not willing to believe. You're shedding the kingdom of God in their faces. Can you imagine that someone might not get there because you shut the door, either because you were embarrassed or you, did, you weren't brave because you didn't think you had the right words or whatever. Someone's coming to you asking you why you are the way you are or, you know, they're desperate and their life is a shambles and, oh, I don't know, I don't want to come on too strong. Do you know you're shutting the kingdom of heaven in their face? Maybe you're not so sold on it yourself because if you were really sold on it, then you would see the intensity of Jesus and you wouldn't care what people think. You just know what the answer is. And you dare say it. He said, warning number one, you better take a look to see if you're preventing this message from getting out because you might not even know it yourself. That was number one. You can see why. That's where it all starts. Warning number two, teachers of the law, you Pharisees, you hypocrites, you travel over land and sea to win a single convert. And when he becomes one, you make him twice as much a son of hell as you are. Jesus isn't sparing any words, is he? And he is saying, I know you are zealous. I mean, but the person I found right away was Paul. Because Paul admits when he lists his credentials, he and he said, I count them all for nothing now. He says, I was zealous. I, I was on my way to Damascus because I, I thought that the way these new Christians, they were, they were a detriment to Judaism. I had to get rid of them. I thought it was going to be just another fluke of a deal, and I wanted to shut their mouth. And he was zealous about it. And then we know the story. So look at these guys, the Jesus is saying, warning number two, you can be zealous about your religion, but if it's the false message, if you are not, if it isn't the true message of Jesus, and what do we see about generation to generation to generation, it gets worse and worse. So he says, you know what, you're there twice as much a son of hell as you are. Because you know what, you could have stopped it. You could, because when it was right in your face and you knew that, that Jesus was talking about you and giving you the warning, you could have stopped it right then and there. But no, your, your rebellion took over, and now you're going to lead the next generation. Guess what? Worse. Every generation is going to be worse until someone stops this. Woe to you, blind guides. You say, if anyone swears by the temple, it means nothing. But if anyone swears by the gold of the temple, he is bound by his oath. You blind fools, which is greater, the gold or the temple that makes the gold sacred? You also say, if anyone swears by the altar, it means nothing. But if anyone swears by the gift on it, he's bound by his oath. You blind men. When you read that, I read it at least a hundred times. And every time I read it, I got more confused. And I thought, Lord, I, you know, this is something I, I'm just so confused. It just, it's just so wordy and everybody's swearing and the oaths and, and you can't, you don't know who to follow. If you swear by this, then, then they're bound. But if they, if they swear by this, then they're not bound. 
I sat there for the longest time, and all of a sudden, again, this is what the Lord does for me. All of a sudden, because he, he didn't let my confusion leave me. And all of a sudden, it's like I could hear him say, and that's my point. That's what religion does. It confuses. It's just a bunch of, and, and, and really, do they ever go to the Lord and say, um, you know, what should we swear by? Because if they had, they would have heard Jesus say prior in the Sermon on the Mount, I don't want you swearing by anything. I want your yes to be yes and your no to be no. And so all of this, again, this is all that heap and that, those people don't know what, what count, what are you going to, what oath is going to be binding and which oath is not. This is all these guys making up all the rules. And it's confusing. It's driving people crazy. They don't know what to believe. And you know, the gospel is not hard. You know what they're doing? They're trying to make it complicated. And have you ever sat with people who are so smart and they just love using big words all in the name of religion and even in the name of Christianity? But I'm telling you, I could sit there and I don't understand a word of what they said. If anybody leaves a Bible study and they say, I'm confused, I'm going to tell you, you better tell me because I did not do my job. Because this is not confusing. It is not complicated. Therefore, he who swears by the altar swears by it and by everything on it. And he who swears by the temple swears by it and by the one who dwells in it. He who swears by heaven swears by God's throne and by the one who sits on it. <laughs> what a bunch of words. When he just simply said, you know what? <laughs> you let grow, grow in, in your, your relationship with me and people will trust you. And so when you say yes, they know you mean yes. And when you say no, they know you mean no. You are trustworthy. They know that your words matter. And you're not playing games. And your character and your... And your um, your character is respected. So, you know, I think it's warning. Don't get so complicated. I think that's why so many people don't dare open up their mouth because they're afraid. You know, they think they need to, to have such a complicated answer or whatever. And Jesus is not. Now, I, that doesn't mean he's shallow. That doesn't mean that the message is shallow. I'm telling you, I mean, look how, how deep we can take this. But as far as Jesus himself and his message, I mean, look, he tried to communicate it in stories, earthly stories with heavenly meanings. He tried to use whatever to try to get whatever people would be able to understand. He never was complicated, but these religious people made it so. Okay, warning. Warning to you, teachers of the law, you Pharisees, you hypocrites. Here's another warning. You give a tenth of your spices, mint, dill, cumin, but you have neglected the more important matters of the law, justice, mercy, and faithfulness. That brought me back to weeks that we've talked about non-negotiable and negotiable. To me, when he says, you give a tenth of your spices, mint, dill, and cumin, that's the negotiable stuff. 
And you know what? You've neglected the most important. You've neglected the non-negotiable. You made more an issue of the things that can be negotiated and debated about because the word of God didn't put it right there, but the non-negotiable. And, and so I'm going to bring this, this example up again because I, I heard it again from this one lady Thursday, and she, we were talking about that organ ordeal. Oh, man, she says, our church is in such a disarray. People are putting anonymous notes in, in our mailboxes, and, and you got this group that wants to throw it out because it's broke anyway. We don't use it. We got this group that says, no, but we grew up with that organ. We'll pay to fix it. And she's, oh, we are such a mess. And then, and then, you know, I'm looking at in this in this line of of words when this warning, and I'm thinking when this church is all in disarray about this organ, which to me is so simple, you get people from both sides coming together on this negotiable message here, and you know this whole organ thing that is so negotiable. You get them together, they talk it out, they give their sides, they, they come together under the non-negotiable principle of Jesus saying, I want my kids to get along. Now, what can we do to solve this problem so that when the world is watching our church, they see us take our differences and make them come together because Jesus wants us to get along. That's the testimony we are to show the world. We can be different, and yet we can come together. And he said, you're spending way too much time on those little things. Now, what happens? What about this church that's spending way too much time about the organ and all that? You take all those little things, and you get all confused and all messed up about those things. What isn't the church? What isn't that church doing? They're, they're not, with the, the main focus has gone off. And you know what Satan is doing? He is just hooping it up. And maybe if we put that picture in our mind, and I think it's fine to do that because when Jesus calls them snakes, he is saying, guess who's got you around the neck? And when, when we get off on the, on the negotiables, when we get off and make that the non-negotiable, he's saying, you are off the track. And the church isn't doing what it's supposed to be doing. And that is save the lost and grow up the saints. Apparently, it's important to him because in his last days, he is saying, I'm warning you about this. And it was a problem then. It's a problem now. You got to stick to the basics. You got to stick to the foundation. You've got to stick. That's why, thank you, Linda, for having us sing Jesus or something about that name. There it is. You know, I, I was thinking about the songs. You know, after I was really getting a handle on this chapter, I thought, this is a love chapter. What does this show? And then I thought, it shows that I can, I can be warned and I can know that I'm on the right track because there is power in the blood, that blood saved me. And that's the way it started for me. And then I moved into, what do I want? I want to continue that close walk. I want to stay close to him because as long as I stay close to him, I will be thinking and seeing and acting. I'll be doing it right. I'll be staying in tune. 
And then, then I, I went to the, the song about no one ever cared for me like Jesus, and that came to be my main focus because I thought, this is what this chapter is showing. No one cares for us. No one would be saying these things if they, if they didn't care. So there is, there, no one ever cared for you. All my life was filled with sin when Jesus found me. No one ever cared for me like that. Took my lostness and made a way so that I could be bought back and redeemed. His child forever I am. I mean, then the songs, I mean, we could have been here till 11 o'clock just singing because then the songs came. But then I thought, we got to, what do we need? What is he trying to get these guys to do? What does he, search your heart. Search your heart to see if maybe you, you've got an area that he's playing games, maybe an area he's trying to work at that you're just not trusting him. That maybe, you know, you're still thinking that, that answered prayer is when you get your way and that he doesn't, that his plan is perfect for you, even when it's not your plan. Maybe you need to learn that. See, this is what he's warning. I want you to live abundantly now with the confidence and the hope of a future. Now, he's going to really get going now. You blind guides, you strain out a gnat but swallow a camel. You want to know what that is? Oh, I couldn't believe it. You strain a gnat. You know what those Pharisees and those hypocrites did? Oh, they couldn't take a drink of water or wine or whatever they were drinking without putting a little piece of something over the glass, and then they poured it through because, heaven forbid, if they swallowed a gnat, because that is not kosher, that little gnat has a little spot of blood in it. I can't do I'll be unclean. Isn't that something? Strain out that gnat. It's, oh dear, I can't, I can't eat anything not kosher, you know, and all that. that so, and he said, but you're swallowing a camel. And to me, that is, you are shutting the kingdom of heaven in people's faces. That to me is swallowing a camel. You are choking on the false message. So that was quite an idea that he said, take a look at the ridiculousness of what you are doing. Okay, another warning. Warning to you, teachers of the law, Pharisees, you hypocrites, you clean the outside of the cup and dish, but inside they are full of greed and in, of self-indulgence. Okay, what's the key word here? Self. <laughs> You are so concerned about the outside and what people see that you haven't even paid any attention to that inside and you think you've got everybody buffaloed. And it is full of greed and self-indulgence. Blind, Pharisee, clean the inside of the cup and dish and then the outside will be clean. That's not a new concept that he's, he's taught us that already. He's taught us, you take care of your heart. You work on that heart, and guess what? The body will follow. You take care of your heart, and then the words and the actions and the attitude, that'll all fall into place. Another warning, you teachers of the law and Pharisees, you hypocrites, you're like whitewashed tombs, which look beautiful on the outside, but on the inside are full of dead man's bones and everything unclean. I didn't realize they did that, but apparently they were, they wanted tombs to look so spit and polished so they would whitewash these outside of the tombs and in all realities, what in the world for? Inside was just nothing but dead bones. And so they would understand that and he'd say, do you see how ridiculous this is? 
You're so whitewashed and, and you get everything looking so good on the outside and really do you realize that everything inside is just a bunch of dead bones? You are dead. That's serious. These warnings are getting more intense, everyone he gives. Do you realize that you are dead? Woe to you, teachers of the law Pharisees, you hypocrites, you build tombs for the prophets, you decorate the graves of the righteous. Put so much emphasis on those graves and on those tombs. And you say, oh, if we had lived in the days of our forefathers, if we had lived in those days, we would not have taken part with them in shedding the blood of the prophets. He said, you're walking around saying, I know if I lived back then, it wouldn't have been like that. Oh, no, I wouldn't have done that. I certainly wouldn't. And Jesus... Boy, this is when he lets it rip. Do you realize you are the next generation? And it's even worse because they were prophesying me. I'm standing right in front of you. And you are shaking your fist in my face. So this is when he is saying, you are being so prideful. And they, oh, we would never do that. We would never be like that. And well, guess what? You're worse than ever. Fill up then the measure of the sin of your forefathers. You better be responsible for that. You're the next generation. And it's going to keep getting worse until you finally realize it. And that's when you snakes. And of course, when you see snake, I mean, right away, I go back to Genesis 3, and he's saying, you have got those same fangs around your neck. You are sons of the devil here. He is loving this. In the name of religion, he doesn't care how religious people get. He's just afraid of power in the blood. That's what he's afraid of. You snakes, you brood of vipers. And then here's, here's the line I told you. This is the line to me as he draws this chapter to a close because he knows they're going to walk away. He says, how will you escape being condemned to hell? He's talking to the most religious people. And he's asking them the question, how are you going to escape hell? Because that's where you're going. That's where you're going. Because there is only one way. And I'm standing right in front of you. As long as you are rebellious and you will not believe, you're going to hell. And, and so, but then I, I look, he runs up the steps and he, he reaches his hand to his disciples and he says to them, but I'm going to give you another chance. I'm leaving and you're not listening to me, but I'm not leaving this message without someone to be able to tell you. So this message is going to keep going. And he says, so I will therefore send prophets and wise men and teachers. I'm going to send, I'm going to give you another chance. Yeah, but then he knows, doesn't he? Because yes, he's 100% man, but he's 100% God. He knows that, you know what, you're going to kill some of them and crucify them and flog some of them in the synagogues. You know, it came to my mind that verse when he says, you know, many are invited, but few are chosen. <laughs> he is inviting them to the banquet. He is he's warning them that if they don't, they're going to hell. But he is warning them. 
And, and few are chosen, he says, because you are not following my instructions, and I will not choose those who don't do their part. I'm inviting everybody. All are invited. Sit on the street corners, remember? All are invited. But that's, that's pretty much to me what he is saying. You're not going to be chosen, I'll tell you that. You're not going to escape hell, I'm telling you that. Unless you sit up and take notice. This is so far more serious than just poo-pooing sitting in church for an hour. <laughs> I don't mean to be sarcastic, but I just, I just fear for our, our community. I fear for West Michigan. We've been so privileged having the gospel out there in so many different ways. And, and people are caught up in their religion but I'm telling you, if they're willing to read Matthew 23, they will somehow find themselves with a big fat warning in their face that they have time to make it right. As if they don't, look at, he says, and so upon you will come all the righteous blood that has been shed on earth from the blood of righteous Abel to the blood of Zechariah and the son of Bechariah, whom you murdered. You had every opportunity. You, you were the church on every corner. You had everything there and you didn't do anything with it because you just didn't think it was that serious. Well, I'll tell you, the righteous blood's going to be on you. I mean, to me, you know, to whom much is given, what? Much is required, and we're going to be held accountable. I tell you the truth, all this will come upon this generation. I mean, as intense as he was talking back a couple thousand years, I mean, you know, as, as determined as he was to get this message out, I thought, what is the overall lesson for us is that are you that intense? Do you care that much? Do you think Jesus was really caring about what anybody thought of him? No, you don't call somebody a snake and a viper if you really care about what they feel about you. No, he wanted to make sure the message was out there. Intense message. Or are you still too nervous about what people might think of you? I mean, every once in a while, you know, something will happen in this class. And I will say to Bonnie or to Mary or maybe one of you, was I too strong today? Did I talk too tough today? And I thought to, my, <laughs> I thought to myself, you know what, this is one. I probably have never talked this strong and this intense, but I got pumped by this lesson. And I'm not going to ask Bonnie or Mary or any of you if I was too tough today. I'm not going to. Because this has got to be said because it needs to be. He was, he is, yeah, exactly. He was running out of time and so are we. So anyway, he, he knows, because we got the visual. This is why it was so good to watch. You know, after he said, I tell you the truth, all this will come upon this generation. And they made their choice again and walked away. And Jesus knew that, you know what? <laughs> oh, you could tell his heart was broken and he fell to his knees he was so crushed. He was so hurt because they didn't listen. Oh, Jerusalem, Jerusalem. And who is Jerusalem? Yes, it's a city, but it's a city filled with his chosen people that were supposed to believe and he could send out to the world. Instead, you who will kill the prophets and stone those sent to you, how often I have longed to gather your children together then he uses this 
precious illustration. How I wanted to gather all of you like a mother hen does with her chicks. And, you know, there's nothing cuter than that. We need to see a mama hen get her babies underneath her wings. And why does she do that? Why in the world does, she, does mama do that? To protect them because she loves them. Because she wants them to grow up and be all that they can be. And I'm thinking, that's exactly, exactly what Jesus says. I long to gather you under my wings. Why? Because I love you. I want to protect you. And I want you to grow up into all you can be. But then look at the, look, after he uses that precious illustration, look what he says. But you were not willing. You know, in, in your insight of watching a mother hen gather her chicks, you know, there probably can be one little stubborn one that said, I don't want to go there. I want adventure. I, I want to do my own thing. And you know that that little chick is probably just running out there. And before you know it, he is someone's supper, you know? So another illustration of saying, you know, this is what I want. I want to gather you. I want to I love you and protect you and grow you up. But you weren't willing. You were that stubborn one that just thought you could do it and you knew better and you didn't like the word surrender. You didn't want to search your own heart. You didn't really want to believe that no one cares for you like Jesus. Look, your house is left to you desolate. For I tell you, now look, for I tell you, who's he talking to? He's talking to those religious leaders. He's talking to those, those lost people that are shaking their fists at him. He's saying, you know what? Okay, all right. But I'm going to tell you. I'm going to tell you right now, you will not see me again until you say, and this is when I had to smile. I thought, you bet. The day is coming that every knee will bow and every tongue will confess. They will be saying, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Except then they're going to say, oh, I wish I would have listened and obeyed and believed and changed. You know, that it, that's what he's saying. You will say, because <laughs> there's no doubt in my mind, you will say it. You will say, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. You're going to identify me for who I am. Unfortunately, it's going to be too late then. So how do I? How do I make this lesson today? How do I make it? Oh, let's end on a pretty little nice note. I'm not going to. <laughs> I'm not going to. I'm going to end this chapter just exactly the way he intended it and said, you got a choice right now. And again, I will not apologize for telling you the truth this morning. So let's go and think about it and be grateful that there is power in the blood, but he wants us to search our heart to make sure that we are real and there is nothing phony about us. So have a good week, everybody. <laughs>